Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining me today, we have Camille Morgan. Hi, Camille. Are you there? Yes, I am. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining me today. Um, Let's have you start by giving an introduction of yourself for our listeners. Sure. Um, I am Camille Morgan. Um, I am here in Hawaii. I'm originally from Detroit. Um, let's see, I'm 30, uh, I'm a behavior analyst, um, a licensed behavior analyst here in Hawaii. Um, yeah, I feel like, I feel like I always try to have like a bio ready, but I never really know what to say. Um, fun fact, I'm a cancer survivor, so that's great. Yeah, I I feel like that's like the most interesting thing about me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that you certainly have a personality and a presence and I've seen you online and it was interesting because when we connected for this podcast episode, I had to ask you, Hey, have we met? Because I really feel like I know you. (laughs) (laughs) And and we're both here in Hawaii. So maybe post COVID times or or definitely after quarantine's listed, you know, let's make sure that we connect in person. I'd love to to get to know you more. Well, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate the fact that you're willing always to share your opinions and I think to educate others. And in my experiences, you've done that with things like being a cancer survivor. That's something that you definitely have shared and modeled for others and given a safe space for that. And also with some of the more online exchanges, you know, pertaining to the death of George Floyd and the topics of social justice. And yeah. That's a big part of why I reached out and and, and convinced you, <laughs> not sure, compelled you to, you know, come on the show and, and use this platform as an opportunity to share some of, I think, some of the really solid pieces of advice and experiences that you've been able to do online. So maybe you could just start our listeners off with sharing just some of your thoughts about what's going on and, and, and how you would describe social justice and ultimately why this should be of relevance to behavior analysts and really everybody. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. So I think for me, um, I uh, got my experience, uh, my undergraduate experience at Western Michigan. I was a psych major. One of the core classes we had to take was ABA. Um, and right off the bat, um, I realized that I liked the science. I just did not necessarily like how I was taught it because I did not realize at that time that it would generalize more than to just autism and autism services. Um, I, after graduation, though, I took a job um, at a pretty well-known clinic. And when I really got to kind of see how verbal behavior and how just our, our verbal language really shapes. Um, really everything about our lives, I think that for me is like when it clicks, where I'm just like, I love what I do, but I also really want to just disseminate this science to the world um, because we just have so many things that the science really can, I think, help with. I think kind of how you mentioned this week, um, I feel like one of the questions I've always had as I've been scrolling through social media and I've seeing people really kind of get fired up and passionate about these issues, um, specifically about race. Um, And I think it kind of started with Ahmaud Aubrey. It's like, why now? You know, like these deaths, um, what I refer to as modern day lynchings, like they've been happening, unfortunately, like since the beginning of like, (laughs) of, of what 
really, I mean, if I just specify it to our field, since like the beginning of our field to work kind of why now. And I think it's like a perfect mix between us all being, you know, in quarantine and, and social distancing with COVID. And then us just kind of probably having like more time to kind of spend on the internet and kind of really forming our own opinions about this. And so I see all these opinions and um, I was like, okay, well, you know, like put something out that's really not opinion based, like put it out or try to put it out that really reflects our science. And so um, one of the first statuses I had that people really were, I think, starting to kind of pick up on is when I was trying to figure out, and I still am in this process of figuring out how exactly race or racism really is conditioned. And we see in a lot of studies um, in psychology and sociology that, like, this happens from the time that we're children, you know, and I'm just like, well, if this happens from the time that we're children, and right now we are looking at all of these behaviors that us adults are doing, you know, like, this this has to start our, our conditioning of anti-racism then also has to start, <laughs> you know, with children. And so, yeah, I honestly just, I think being a Black behavior analyst has or in, in a black, you know, RBT has had its fair share of heartbreak. And so I really, I just want to help the next analyst, the next generation of analysts and RBTs to not have to uh, maybe have some of those racially charged experiences that myself and a lot of other black practitioners have had. You know, I, again, thank you for sharing something that's a very personal uh, on many levels mm-hmm. and vulnerable topic. And so if there's anything that I ask that you wish not to share, please just let me know. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about gender inequality, right? Um, yeah. Because I find as a white Caucasian American behavior analyst, you know, people that I, the things I'm seeing that I find the biggest disconnect with online is like, oh, that didn't, that's not how I feel, or I'm not yeah. racist. Or, and I yeah. think a lot of that, like you said, is so ingrained in, in society and in many ways, stemming back to childhood, that I think many people might be able to relate to gender stereotypes and norms, right? You know, boys play with trucks and girls play with dolls and boys shouldn't be playing with dolls. And I mean, I don't believe that, but certainly with some of the stereotypes. And and I'm wondering if there are other parallels like that that help make connection to people who feel really disconnected or you might feel are feeling really disconnected from your experiences. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I am a black, lesbian, cisgendered, a feminine presenting behavior analyst. With that being said, with all of these hats, although I'm like a triple minority, I do hold privileges in certain ways. The fact that I'm cisgender is a privilege. The fact that um, I'm feminine presenting, that is a privilege. And so, you know, there are certain parts of my identity, though, that, that definitely I have been socialized to, like, almost be oppressive (laughs) against my other, like, some of my other identities. And I think how you mentioned gender, I think the most interesting thing that I've seen, and I've seen this amongst friends, I've seen this amongst family, I've seen this amongst professional peers, is that some of the same people that will go to Pride with me, some of the same people that have their bachelorette parties at, like, drag bars, literally are the people who are actively like denying some of the oppression that, um, you know, that they may be like engaged in, or they're just actively denying the oppression, you know, that, that I think people on social media and maybe in their real lives are trying to help them to understand is actually real. And for me, that's very disheartening because 
it just, it really does sadden me that there's always, I feel like there's always like this disconnect between like one of my identities being like socially praised, you know, or socially acceptable while, while another one oftentimes is not. And it's hard. It's, 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 it's very, very hard to show up in a space and feel comfortable being your full self without having to worry about um, repercussions. And I'm just hoping that other people, other people who are really being activists and like using their platform within our field and even like outside of our field, I hope that like we all, you know, can just make it easier, like I said, for the next generation, because it is, it's tough. Yeah, when we think about from a behavior analytic perspective, it appears to be a deficit with generalization, right? And yes. what yes. I'm and that's a oversimplification. I I I definitely appreciate that. What I'm hearing you talk about is people who share and maybe in very many of your same values, but it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to translate or generalize to a particular area. And I think it's important for us to look at all of our histories, right? And mm-hmm. what I notice, whether we're talking about racism, gender inequality, sustainability, access to mm-hmm. autism services, is that people, when we feel uncomfortable, and I don't know if this is human nature or, or our environment that's conditioned us as such, but we get defensive, right? And yes. We, yes. we push back and we try to create distance from that thing that makes us uncomfortable. And it's going to take a lot of being uncomfortable um, (laughs) on everyone to really advance us forward. And I appreciate what you said, too, about talking to children and about approaching this as a very Mm -hmm. intentional intentional conversation. Now, do you have, I don't know if you have children on your own or family or friends or neighbors or such, but how, how have you seen people navigate those conversations or do you have experiences of what, what people can do to make those conversations really effective? So on a personal level, so I don't have children. I have a niece and a nephew, and I have two godchildren. And so I know, like, on a personal level, there's just certain conversations I just have. And my family has, honestly, just in a very, very simple way. When, you know, my niece has this thing where she, like, goes around and she just texts everything, absolutely everything. And so oftentimes she sees this picture of um, my spouse and I at my mom's house, and she'll just be like, auntie, and that's auntie, you know what I mean? And it's just, it's nothing to her. Like, there is, there is no sense of, like, like, questioning, like, who this other woman is. Um, and granted, she is of an age where, you know, she does not know the concept of, like, marriage or anything like that. But to her, she's just like, well, these are my two aunts. Um, to my goddaughter, who is a little bit older, she's just like, you know, this is God, Mommy Camille, and that's Auntie Jamie. Like, it, it's it's really no no disconnect. What I have noticed, though, uh, when it comes to a lot of these conversations with kids, it's like we project our discomfort onto them. And oftentimes, they're just asking, like, very, like, matter-of-fact, like, innocent questions. So there's actually um, a scholar who is on my caseload now, and he sees me. And he's like, oh, what's your name? And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm Camille. And he then points out another adult, another um, black adult, a black male. And he's like, you guys should get married. And I was like, well, why? And he's like, because you guys are black. And and I was like, I mean, what does that mean? I'm already married, you know. I I mean, I'm engaged, but, you know. And he was like, oh, I'm married too. And it was literally just like very matter of fact. And I didn't have to explain to him, like, like I knew as an adult, in his mind, he paired two black people and, like, we belong together. 
you know? And there was something so innocent about that, but it wasn't, it wasn't like uncomfortable to me. I literally just treated it as I would any other conversation. I'm just like, well, I'm already married. And we just moved on. I've had clients who have called me the N word. I mean, very young clients. Like the first time this happened, the, the client was eight years old and he told me that he couldn't have me as a friend because I was the N-word, and he could only have white friends. And and I was like, well, I'm friends with so-and-so, you know, naming other people or other, you know, other adults and, and other children who are of different um, colors and races and ethnicities. And you could see this almost, like, very, like, innocent kind of confused look on his face. Which it was almost like this, like, child, like, aha kind of moment. And it really wasn't that deep. You know what I mean? Like, it was literally like, oh, really? Okay. And and he just went on about his day. And so what I then decided to do, I was at RBC at the time, so I went to my BCBA at the time, and I expressed, you know, I told them what happened, and they, you know, told the parents. But it was just such a reminder to me that, like, we are all modeling behaviors like that we see. And that is why it is very, very important that we kind of, you know, look within ourselves and like do our own work because we don't, we don't want to raise the next generation to be racist. <laughs> I mean, at the very least, like we just, we don't, you know. At the very least, I agree with that for sure. You said two things I want to comment on. One is the sort of simplicity of children thinking, which I connect with, with COVID, especially Mm -hmm. when it first started or everyone was at home. We didn't know. We still don't know exactly, like, what's going on or when it's going to be done or when things restore in different places. But I remember speaking to my friend's five-year-old, and it was, like, two or three days into uh, quarantine, and they had just moved to the mainland. And I was talking to her, you know, how's it going? How's it going, Evelyn? And she was like, do you know we can't go to church or school here? And and I think she thought because they moved, like, we can't go. Now we can't go. And I said, oh, you know what? That's happening here, too. And she said, oh. And I said, do you know why? And she said, yeah, because, you know, lots of people are sick and we stay home so everyone can get better. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And it really is yeah. Pretty much it. Obviously, there's a whole yeah. lot more that we could learn. We could watch TV. We could tune in and tune out. Yeah. But that connection of, of simplicity, I think, can help us maybe move past our discomfort what if, or through it, not past it, through yeah. it. Um, yeah. And then the other thing that you mentioned, and I, I would love to get your thoughts on this, are not seeing the differences. Like when you're talking about yeah. your nephews or um, your godchildren and, oh, it's just auntie and auntie. When it comes mm-hmm. to race, you know, it's definitely been pointed out and emphasized, especially a lot on the social media conversations lately, that being colorblind, for example. So if mm. that were to translate over as, hey, I don't see any difference, we're all the same. And it's, yeah. you know, we should all be equal. That's certainly the tenets of the, you know, not seeing the differences can be damaging, I believe. What are your thoughts on oh, that? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, honestly, the reality is like we're not, we're not, when it comes to seeing people's colors, we are not colorblind. So for me, I'm just like, well, don't, just don't lie about it. Like you literally do see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's, 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 so it's like at, at, at first we just need to stop like lying to ourselves about that. But I, I think for me, what I have realized is, you know, when I think for people, at least like 
I don't know, like I, I'll even say like 30 in it, for example. You know, when we hear or when we were kids or young adults, we heard about racism, it was automatically associated with these very well-known overt groups, you know, and, and, and just, it. I mean, to be quite frank, like it was just associated, I think, oftentimes with like the KKK. Or, you know, when you think of civil rights, it was just associated with, like, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. And then somehow the history books or how we are taught, it jumps to, like, Obama. And I think sometimes we were taught that in order to not be racist, that meant not seeing people for who and what they are. And it's like there, there I think there's, like such a damage in that, in that, like, I am, like, I am a black woman, um, and I want people to see that, just like I see you as a white woman. The thing, though, is that I'm not, like, a black woman with a period. I'm a black woman with a comma, and there's so many parts of me, including my blackness, that, that makes me who I am, and, like, that's, that's wonderful. And, I think if we start to realize that even the colorblindness, although it, it, I think it has like a good intention, it's just so detrimental because you're literally erasing so much. Like we don't do that, especially in our field. Like we don't, we don't pretend like our scholars and our clients, like diagnosis, for example, doesn't exist. We acknowledge that. We empower that. And we just we live in in a world where we need to acknowledge and empower everybody else's existence. I think going back to like my niece and just seeing like the picture and it's like that's auntie, that's auntie. I mean, eventually, as she's eighteen months, nineteen months. Eventually, there is going to be a conversation where it's like literally like you know, mommy and daddy are married, auntie's married with auntie. You know, like there is going to have to be a conversation of like, well, auntie's a lesbian. And they're going to have to, and I'm going to have to teach my niece and my nephew, you know, like to and to feel empowered in whatever and whoever like they are as well. Just like I want them to empower me in whatever and whoever I am as well. So yeah, I, I hope that answers your question about how I think of it. <laughs> I think it was very beautifully stated, uh, actually. And you know, something else that I'm connecting to, I, I really like how you. Just how you spoke about going from Rosa Parks, Malcolm X, MLK to Obama. Like, where is the rest of the story? And yeah. when you think about the rest of the story, there's a lot of history that has been written with a certain perspective. And so it is hard, but not impossible, for people yeah. to find the truth and, and the alternative perspectives of, of history and of current yeah. situations. But I also wanted to thank you for making the parallel to the autism community in the sense that I think many listeners can relate to that. It was really nicely stated. We don't dismiss the diagnosis, but it also doesn't necessarily define our scholars, our clients. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's a part of them. And I thought yeah. very deeply stated when you said, I'm a black woman, that was a period, but with a comma, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. To that story. Your story. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. It's like, I think the reality is, it's like we have this ability if we really wanted to. And I think especially in our field where it is literally our job to continuously research things. We have this ability, kind of like you were saying, where it's just like we can, we can unlearn some of these some of these things that we were taught. And, and I think you made a very good point. Like it's not always going to be comfortable. But I also think 
that we're the same people that will do CrossFit, that will hike, that will do yoga, that will do spin class. We will literally engage in behaviors that are uncomfortable as long as it benefits us. Yeah, we have to change this narrative that we can only engage in behaviors that benefit us, like, directly. And I think the reality is, is that even the most, like, uncomfortable of things can have, like, the most beautiful outcomes. And it's a daily thing. We're all learning and unlearning things every single day. You know, I love that. And I love one of the, again, one of the many things that I read online said, you're going to mess up everybody in these conversations, but having the conversation is a big, big first step. You know, I think yes. you even back yes. it up further with, let's start being honest with ourselves about what mm-hmm. makes us uncomfortable, about what makes us, you know, comfortable, about where we know we have concerns or history or limitations, but also in being open to the feedback of our blind spots. And so yeah. you know, I really want to thank you again for, creating, I think, very pointed feedback that is also, I think, sensitive to the fact that we want people to keep having conversations. And that's yeah. something that really, really kind of stood out to me about your interactions online. We only have a, just a minute or two, and I, gosh, and we're going to have to keep having these conversations, not just you <laughs> and me, everybody, but also yeah. have you back on the show at some point. What about resources, information? You know, I definitely hear people saying, Stop asking your black friends to relive yeah. their lives and the history yeah. and to, to traumatize themselves for the yeah. sake of knowledge that's already out there. Where would you point people or what kind of information might you suggest they look at? So there is a book called How to Be Anti-Racist. I always recommend that. The New Jim Crow is another book. There is Dr. Victoria Ferris. I, I mean, I fangirled this woman almost like daily on the internet, but she is somebody who she uses her platform and her privilege to disrupt racism. She, she has, I believe her name on Instagram is Dr. Victoria Ferris. She just, she does a really, really good job of that. And this honestly may sound really stupid, but I just honestly just tell people to Google. Like you can literally Google just about anything that you want to learn. But what I can also do, too, is I can send you – I have, like, a, a big list, so maybe I can send it to you and um, we can kind of share it publicly so people who follow your pages can also have that, that list as well. That would be amazing, you know, and I have created a social justice page. Make sure there's a landing spot. It mentions some of the upcoming conversations and webinars and platforms that people are using to help the conversations continue. I would love to be able to um, to host that information for anybody who would, who would like to access it. For sure. Definitely. Is there anything else you'd like to add or say to the listeners before we head off our, our conversation today? I don't think so. I just, I really appreciate you allowing me to come and, and speak for a little bit on this. It really does mean a lot. Absolutely. And like I said, post-COVID, let's get together. <laughs> let's meet yes. in person. Yes. Let's continue these conversations. And, you know, I'm interested in how um, how we can continue not only to have a voice in our community with each other, but also within our state chapters, within our organizations, and calling for, you know, official positions. Yeah. How perfectly timed the siren in the background. <laughs> I know. The urgency I'm sorry. of it all, right? <laughs> yes. 
Oh, man. Well, Camille, thank you so much for joining us um, today and for sharing your thoughts and perspectives with our listeners. And for anyone who's interested in more information and, and for accessing that big list of resources to come, you can check it out at www.behaviorbabe.com. 